Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview podcast. In today's episode of 10Q Interview, we had a bit of a first time and that was having two guests on. We had Samantha and Andrea of um, the freelancing platform Meet Harlow. I didn't really know what to expect of having two guests. I was a bit concerned if I'm not, not going to lie. I was a bit worried it wouldn't work. But actually, both were consummate professionals, great guests. And there's a lot of value and information and interesting things to be taken away from this episode. And I'm sure you'll take away some good stuff too. If this is the first time you're here with us at 10Q Interview, I wish you an incredibly warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast, although I think I'm pretty confident you will. If you do, let me know your favourite bits on social media, at 10Q Interview everywhere you all look. And most importantly, don't forget to hit subscribe. It's We're trying to grow the podcast and obviously the more subscribers we have, the more reach we get, the more reach we get, the more people who find out about us and it's incredibly important. So it would mean the world to me and my two lovely guests if you share this episode far and wide. There's loads of great stuff in it and I'm sure you'll think of somebody um when you're listening to it who would benefit greatly from parts and all of it hopefully make sure to let them know and share it with them now on to the podcast i want to thank you both for taking the time to come on i know it's uh i know you're both busy and being interviewed on podcasts is probably not top of your agenda sometimes especially uh when things are, are really kicking off so I, I do want to let you know that i appreciate you um taking the time and as we both discussed, or three of us discussed previously, um, you are my first pairing on the podcast, which is interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing how the dynamic works. And my first question, and I'll point this to you, Samantha, to go first, sure. is if you met a stranger in a bar or a coffee shop or somewhere, and they ask you what you do or what you're about, what is it you're most likely to say to them? You know, this is actually a funny question because I struggle with this answer a lot, um, specifically because I work in tech and I live in an area where technology is not necessarily the leading industry. Um, So when I say something like I built and run a software company, you know, it's called Harlow. It's built for freelancers to streamline their business. Um, I have a co-founder, Andrea. You know, they immediately think that Andrea and I are developers, that we actually built the product, right? And so then I have to backtrack sometimes and I'm like, well, well, no. So we created the concept, you know, but somebody else actually built the product and it just, you know, it leads to utter confusion. So it's actually really interesting. I always wonder what other like technology founders and co-founders would say you, do you and how play, they phrase that. Do you play it down then, would you say? Yeah. Sometimes I just say like, I own my own business and make it like, make it super, super simple. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people will ask questions. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, so it kind of depends who my audience is. Okay. Andrea, same question to you. Yeah. So I live in San Francisco where everybody's in tech. So I totally right. downplay it. I just say I work in tech and then move on to something more interesting. <laughs> why, 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 why would you move on rather than take the opportunity to, I don't know, either network or promote or Um, Sometimes I will, but I think there's the San Francisco, the Bay Area can just become consumed by technology. And I think there's so many other interesting and important things going on. Um, And I spend my entire day in tech. And so I just enjoy talking about those other things. Is it just a standard assumption in San Francisco that everyone works in tech? So it's pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. So you're both in tech. Mm-hmm. Which leads me nicely on to the next question then. So when you were kids, what did you both want to be when you grew up? Well, obviously I wanted to be a ballerina first, okay. um, but that didn't really play out. But um, for a long time, I wanted to be an architect. Okay, and interesting. Yeah, and I was reflecting on this recently and it makes perfect sense. I really love to build. and. Okay. So um, I obviously didn't end up going down that path. I ended up going to art school instead. But um, but yeah, early on, I really wanted to build build homes. Why why did you choose art rather than architecture? You know, I was interested in ceramics and which is also a different type of building and creating. Um, And that was just that was something I was really passionate about. And once I went to school, I realized. I was passionate about it, but it was very hard to make a living. Okay, being an artist, um, 
And so I actually started my first business. I I ended up switching from ceramics into printmaking, which is very process oriented and also building, right? Building different layers. And and after school, I opened up a small little print shop. So I've always had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know if we're going to cover it in one of the later questions, but there seems a very obvious jump here of how you've gone from very art focused and to tech. It's a big jump, right? Oh, I don't know. I, to me, it makes perfect sense. I think okay. technology is also can be very creative. Again, like I was a printmaker, which is a lot about process. Okay. Um, I did a lot of screen printing, which is layering different, uh, different colors and images on top of each other. And it's pretty technical, um, which is, you know, I got into marketing and demand generation, which is also very process oriented. And I think there's yep. a lot of creativity in, in building and, and owning business. Oh, 100% agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. How about you, Samantha? Um, so actually very early on, I think I was, you know, maybe seven or eight years old. I was actually captured on film saying that I wanted to be a businesswoman, which was okay. v- very funny to my family at the time. Um, obviously, I didn't know what that meant, um, but that it's come true in some sense. But I went through a couple of other phases too. You know, I wanted to be a lawyer at one point and actually an artist at another. I also almost went to art school um, right after high school. I went through a, you know, a path where I was exploring psychology. Um, and really, it all makes sense too, because those things all, all kind of marry together in yeah. marketing and running a business and kind of creating the brand for yeah. Harlow. Um so I just explored them all at different times. No, I can see that. Why did your family think it was funny? Was it just because you were young and that's what you said or because yeah, of a personality I, I, trait? I, you know, I think most people when they're seven or eight years old, they want to be like Andrea said, like a ballerina or a firefighter or a nurse, right? They're like, there are a specific set of jobs that are put in front of us, you know, yeah. during that time that we, we think we need to choose between. And so I think just going outside of that, you know, it was just funny to them, but I used to, it's funny. I used to put on, um, like zoos. I used to set up my stuffed animals in my room and then charge my family to come in and come to my zoo and a variety wow. of things like that. So I was always trying to figure out a way to make money. It's funny. I, I have a four-year-old daughter who's currently doing not zoos, but she likes to pretend bake and then sell me things with my own money. Yes, <laughs> That's exactly what I did. I love it. Wow. That's amazing. Um, okay then. So moving on to the next question, I'm really curious to, for both of you, like what, what's been one of the most pivotal moments in, in both your lives? Andrea, you want to take this one first? Yeah. Having a baby. Okay. Having a child just totally changed my life. I had a child very late in life, just, um, two years ago and it gave me patience that I never had before Um, and just gave me a much different perspective. It gave me actually like a sense of calm, especially professionally, because it just helped put things in perspective at the end of the day, you know, what's really important and what really matters. Yep. I'm with you on that. I, I, I probably say similar. It's, it's weird, isn't it? How, you know, these young things come into your life and then all of a sudden, things you used to stress about and the things you used to get worried about and now don't get me wrong there's plenty of stresses and worries with kids but (laughs) it's just it's different isn't it it is and it's really made me much more empathetic towards just the people that I work with and recognizing oh they're probably they've got other stuff going on in their lives too you know (laughs) they they, they were up at four in the morning no wonder wonder they're annoyed exactly yeah um yeah it's been it's just been amazing and life-changing and tiring yeah 100 percent agree how about you samantha uh well i don't have any children so i can't take that route um and i think the most pivotal is difficult to answer but something that comes to mind um when i was actually in high school like i mentioned earlier i was leaning into going to art school or actually playing a sport in college i was an athlete and so i was really exploring these two paths and then very last minute Um, I realized that if I actually went to a state school, I would receive almost a full scholarship plus grants to pay for school. And so these other paths were very expensive. I probably would have accrued a lot of debt. And I actually went the state school path um, very last minute. And it allowed me not only to leave school without debt, 
Um, but I also met some of my, you know, closest friends and my husband at that school. And so I think that was just a path that made the most sense to me. And I got there, you know, very, very last minute. And it was a really meaningful experience for me. And I don't think I actually would have done well on either of these other paths to actually, you know, be an athlete in college or to go this artistic route. I think yeah. this was definitely like the path for me. And I'm glad I made that decision. It definitely sounds pretty pivotal. Yes. <laughs> in, you know, where you are now. <laughs> how, how close were you to um, not making that decision? Oh my gosh. I think, I think I ended up enrolling on like the last possible day that you could enroll and get wow. accepted. Yeah. Do you ever think about where you'd be now if you hadn't done that? I, you know, I have no idea. It's really interesting though, you know, going to, because either one of them would have been a smaller school. It would have been different programs, you know, obviously going to the state school led me to internships and working with the school paper and all these things that led me into kind of marketing and advertising and yeah. down this path into technology. So I don't know where I would have ended up. Wow. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, let's move on to advice. And, I, and I, I love this question because I'm not very good at, uh, I'm very good at giving advice. I'm not very good at receiving <laughs> it. And I'm always curious of um, some of the best pieces of advice you've both received on your prospective journeys. And if any, if any spring to mind that you can think of. Andrea, do you want to go first? Yeah. I, you know, at different times in my life, I think different pieces of advice are, are hyper relevant, right? So yeah. what the advice that resonated with me in my 20s is different in my 30s and now my 40s. Um, I will say like a piece of advice that has stuck with me recently and that I've been thinking about a lot lately, especially as we've been building Harlow, is um, from my old boss, Alex Bard, who talked a lot about one-way doors versus two-way doors. And okay. when you're making decisions... Um, because sometimes we have, you know, we, sometimes we agonize over these decisions and, and ruminate and really thinking about, is this, is this a one-way door? Is this something that I can't, um, I can't go back on? Or is it a two, two-way door? Is it a decision that we can make that if it doesn't work out, it's okay. And we can come back and we can try a different path. And it's just helped me to, I think, put some of those decisions in perspective Okay. Um, and especially when it comes to work, which is which has been a big focus lately. So and would we, you? We have that you... conversation all the time at Harlem. Yeah. One way door, two way door. Is this a big decision or is this a little decision that we can make quickly and learn from? So is, is that the definition? Then a two way door is a little decision. Not necessarily. A two way door is a decision that it's not terribly hard to go back and change. So it could be. It could still be costly yep. and time consuming. Um, but like in, in business, a great example is, oh, we're going to revamp our, our messaging. Okay. So you go and you revamp your messaging. It flops. Yep. That's a two-way door. You can go back, you can change that, you can try again. Yep. Um, a one-way door might be something like the tech stack that you choose, yep. right? Well, yes, you can go back and change that, but it is going to be incredibly costly and challenging to do that. Yeah. Um, so it just kind of helps to put some of these decisions in in perspective. So then, am I correct in thinking that you would, when you come to a decision, you'll say, right, this is a one way door, two way door decision, and then, yep. I mean, you won't not necessarily make a one way door decision, but it would take you longer to process it and to think about it and to exactly. Exactly. Okay. We might have a different process working through that. And especially because Samantha and I are co-founders and we both have tons of marketing experience. Sometimes we have differing opinions on how we should handle something. I was and just so, going to ask that question. Yeah. I was going to say, has there ever been a, a situation where one of you thinks it's a one-way door, one of you thinks it's a two-way door? If somebody thinks it's a one-way door, then we treat it as a one-way door decision. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Um, but generally, if generally the person we allow the person who is more passionate about the decision to kind of own the decision and, and okay. make the call. So what's the takeaway there? What is the actual piece of advice then that is to define a decision or a problem by being a one way or two way door and, and go from there? Yeah, I think the, the advice is um, every problem isn't, 
isn't the biggest problem. So just, you know, to, 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 as you're tackling it to recognize, is this, is this a one-way door or a two-way door? And that might help you work through it. I think that's really a great piece of advice. Actually. I, I, I have this sort of belief in life where, I mean, I'm sure you both do as well. You look back on some of the problems and issues you've had in years gone by. And at the time, it was the worst thing in the world. It was, you know, <laughs> causing all sorts of anxiety and stress. And you look back at it now and you're like, it really wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. We worried about. <laughs> and I guess by, by bucketing stuff in a two-way door or one-way door, um, grouping actually helps you to deal with that. And I, and I suppose, you, I think you mentioned, it's not just a business thing, is it? It's, it's right. Any decision you're making, it's is it? Can it be reversed? Mm-hmm. And actually, nine times out of ten, I guess most can. I suppose. Yeah, totally. No, great piece of advice. Um, how about you, Samantha? What's what's your go-to? I think my go-to advice is to spend less time being reactive, spending more time reflecting, thinking, being proactive, and you know, I bring that into both my personal life and into business, you know? Okay. So we think about, you know, as Andrea and I are building Harlow, we are trying to really build what we call a calm, flexible, thoughtful company, right? Not one where we stress and react on the daily and bring in these additional stressors that aren't necessary, um, kind of also ties to one-way or two-way doors, right? Yep. You know, some, some paths and questions need time and thoughtful can consideration and not immediate answers and responses. And I think that's something that I struggled with a lot, especially when I was in leadership early on in my career is feeling like I always needed to have an answer and to react to a question and come up with something to feel smart or like I was adding value. And, you know, it's actually very admirable to be able to say that you don't know and that you need to go take time to research or be thorough or be thoughtful in your response. And so I think it's just, not always feeling like you need to be reactive. Don't always feel like you need to have the right answer. Feeling like you can take that time to react, you know, to reflect and process. And has that thought process come from being at the top of the tree? As opposed to, you know, yeah. when you're in a when you're in mm-hmm. a business and you're working for someone, you have the pressures, and I'm sure you have mm-hmm. pressures, different kinds of pressures there. Yeah. But does that come from actually being the decision maker and saying, actually, no, I will run this my way? And, you know, it's actually something that I more so needed to work on before I became the decision maker when I was maybe in a leadership position, but also answering the people above me. Right. So maybe I was the head of marketing. Andrea was the CMO. That's actually when we, when we first met at campaign (laughs) monitor, Andrea was actually actually my boss. This is real life. (laughs) This is real life. This is a real scenario. Um, And so maybe we were in a room with, you know, people from product and support and, you know, other organizations and a question would be answered that I didn't necessarily have an answer for that used to feel bad, but it's okay. Right. And like, it's something that I worked with a therapist actually really early on about is that it's okay to not always have an answer. It's actually better if you don't, because it's better than spouting off a wrong answer or bringing people down a path that is actually not the most thoughtful or considerate path. It It makes you a better team player overall when you take more time to be thoughtful instead of react. Yes. Yeah, I guess that works in all relationships, doesn't it? It's, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so that's so really interesting, though. So you, you both used to work together at a different company? Yeah. Yeah, so Andrew and I have actually worked together for over eight years now. Um, oh, wow. So I was actually Andrea's first hire at that company called Campaign Monitor. Uh, we worked there for three or four years together. When we left, we actually founded a consulting firm together, a little boutique consulting firm, kind of okay. a fancy way to say that we were – we were freelancing and using yep. subcontractors, and subcontractors and taking on big projects. Um, and then from there, we founded Harlow together. So we've been working together for a very long time. Wow. Yes. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. So you know each other a while. What's some of the valuable lessons you've learned maybe from each other, maybe before working together? I don't know. I think my valuable lessons, it actually kind of ties in a little bit, Samantha, is around like failure. And to me, um, when I was younger, failure felt like the end of the world, whether it was a project that went poorly, a company that went poorly. Um, And I think a valuable lesson for me is that 
failing at something doesn't mean that you as a human being are a failure. And it is Mm -hmm. absolutely just another, it's another data point. It's another, excuse me, it's another learning. It's a, it's a, it's growing, it's growth Mm -hmm. when you have those experiences, even though when you're in it, it definitely doesn't feel like it. Um, It's kind of, it's it's fail. I mean, fail, failing has almost been a bit trendier lately, hasn't it? With the fail fast motto and, and and it's good. I I, I 100% agree with you. I think it's, how you develop as a person, as a, as a organization, what, you know, whatever situation you're in, I think it's funny how, I guess as kids, you sort of don't really get educated on, you know, how to deal with failure. Maybe. I don't know. I don't ever remember that when I was, when I was younger, Mm -hmm. but life is all about failure, isn't it? I mean, how many, (laughs) you know, if you go through life without failing, I think there's a saying, isn't there? If you've never failed, you've never tried or something. You don't try. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's something I've learned actually quite over the years that it is part and parcel of life. And I think how you deal with it and what you learn from it is actually really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a good one. I'm glad to hear you uh, you drop that uh, one on us. How about you, Samantha? What's, what's lessons you've learned? You know, I think one of my biggest lessons learned is the more perspectives, the better. And this kind of um, ties into my my last answer, but you know, diversity and decision-making can be a really good thing. And it used to feel bad to be in a room of people and have everyone have differing opinions than you and talking about different paths. Um, But in reality, like more perspectives and diversity and decision-making keeps us from going down this path of group think where we are just looking at things from, you know, one perspective, one path, one way, you know, towards an end goal and having you know, having all these different people with different experiences and different skill sets involved, I think leads us toward, toward you know, a more valuable end goal and a way that, you know, we, we can't possibly think through on our own how all of the people around us are going to perceive this decision that we're making. And so the more people that you have involved, the more likely you are to cover all of those edge cases and think about things in a more holistic and well-rounded way. Do you know, it's funny you say that I, I was very guilty, not that long ago actually of sort of extrapolating out my own opinion thinking it was I mean not the not the masses necessarily but at least like a a sort of big segment of of everything yeah and at the time I had a co-founder who was another middle-aged white guy like me and we used to agree on everything it was like yeah. great, you know. It's all, it's all, all, all roses, and we uh-huh. have our daily, daily stand-ups and whatever. It's like, oh, great, yeah. And then I hired a a um, a young lady who's in her mid twenties who didn't agree with us, like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like this kind of like weird. And it, it's kind of strange. Right? I consider myself to be bright. I consider myself to be well-rounded, but. Yeah, it's it's funny we, how we, easy one slips into that trap, I think. Yeah, absolutely. We all have biased perspectives, right? Yeah. And so that's one of the things that Andrea and I actually run into a lot as well, especially when we were building Harlow. You know, we're like, well, this was the way that we ra- ran our freelance business. This is the way that we see the freelance world. Here's yep. what we think is important. But as we started interviewing, you know, potential customers or, you know, even users after we launched, we were starting to see a lot of different perspectives that differed from ours and things that were important to them that we didn't necessarily think were important. And so we could have moved forward and just, you know, prioritized the the features or the content or the things that we thought were important and that we thought people wanted to know about. But yeah. the more that we talked to people, the more that we, you know, figured out that there's all these other things that we weren't even thinking about that so are where, important to this audience. So where were you in the, in the process of launching your business when you, like how far down the track were you, I mean, so it sounds to me like you built it around the problems you had, which is, you know, what a lot of people do when they're launching businesses, they, they scratch their own itch. Mm-hmm. How far down the road were you realizing that there were lots of other itches out there that needed scratching? No, we we actually did it really early on. So initially, Andrea and I, I ideated on what we thought we wanted to create. Yeah. We outlined it, kind of, you know, put it into like buckets of problems that we were trying to solve. Um, But then we actually went out and did a handful of interviews. So we interviewed like 20 or 30 freelancers in different fields who manage their business in different ways. And then we took all of that feedback and we actually worked with um, a really amazing like uh, product guy who helped us 
then put all of their needs into buckets and see how they aligned with the needs that we had originally outlined. And that's how we actually prioritized what features to create. That is a really intuitive way of going about things. And I, and again, I'm extrapolating out here, but it sounds to me not, not a lot of startup um, founders go to that, go to those lengths. What, what made you guys, I don't know, go down that path? So Andrea and I have worked with a lot of startups. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. so the entire yeah. the entire time that we were consulting, all we did was work with early stage startups. And a lot of the times they did what you said, which they built for a product before really talking to their customer or their consumer and right. then had to go back and revamp post launch or, you know, after they'd already launched their marketing programs or, you know, did all of these things. And so for Can- us, it, it was really important very early on to talk to the potential customer and make sure that we were actually identifying the right gaps in the product that we were going to so, build. So do you think your product market fit is better than most startups and because that of was, that? That was the goal. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it is, yeah. but that was the goal. And I will say we're actually in the middle of another round of customer interviews right now. Okay. Um, How do you, Where do you draw the line between, I guess, MVP and too many features and that, too many features is the wrong word but I mean where, where do you find that balance between doing too little and too much well the way that we've handled it right now is just as Sam said mm-hmm. even now as we're getting all of this feedback we keep grouping it and we see where the biggest challenges are and that's where we focus okay you know solving solving the big problems sure there are a lot of small things that we could address there yeah. are a lot of small things that people want um, but there are some big things that keep coming up. And so that's, that's where we should focus. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Um, I mean, we talk a bit more about your business towards the end, but I guess my next question then is around decisions you both made. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to some of the, the best ones. Well, personally, um, I think one of the best decisions I've ever made with Andrea, um, is to take a risk and to start our own business. So okay. first with Interimly, which was our consulting business, and now with Harlow, um, I think it's a really beautiful thing to be passionate about what you're working on. And like, I, I felt like I was passionate at Campaign Monitor. We both really loved the company. We loved the product. We, we did feel passion. But going out and starting your own thing is a different level of passion, right? Yeah. And so I think now specifically with Harlow, because we're building this product, that we could have used when we were running our consulting business, you know, we're, we're really, we really feel passionately about trying to build this thing. That's, you know, more than just a software product, but also a, you know, a community and a company that like empowers freelancers and other people who are going out on their own paths. Right. So I think I would have never experienced that had I not tried things on my own, tried to, you know, launch my own business, start my own business. And I feel passionately about helping other people do that. And it's just, a, it feels really good and cohesive. Okay. Andrea? So I think one of the best decisions I ever made was um, pursuing a job at Salesforce in the early days, in, in early 2000. So it was, um, I was living in Houston at the time and I came out to San Francisco. I actually presented at one of the very first Dreamforces at the time in like 2004 and in the session happened to be the CMO at the time, a teen of Salesforce. And he came up to me after my session and he's like, oh, you should, you really know your stuff. You should come work for us. And I was like, great. And then I went back to Houston and was like, how do I get that job? That's not really a job. <laughs> There's not even a wreck on the website. Thankfully, I had an amazing boss at the time who was really looking out for my best interests. And he helped me navigate it. And I sent Teen an email and I was like, hey, about that job um, and kind of pressed it. And they flew me out to San Francisco. I interviewed and I ended up getting it and they moved me out here. And it totally changed the trajectory of my life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Was he expecting you to get in touch? Did he... Did he... I'm trying to say, was it a throwaway comment or was it when you got in touch, he was like, great. Yep. When I got in touch, he was like, great, when are you moving out here? It's like, when are you, when are you giving me an offer? And wow. he connected me to the right people. Um, it was definitely out of my comfort zone uh, that, at that 
stage in my career and age, I was not accustomed to asking for what I wanted and putting myself out there and taking that, that risk. And again, thankfully, I had a mentor who really, really encouraged me. I mean, that's, um, that's, that's definitely one of those pivotal moments, isn't it? I mean, yes. imagine if you just yeah. gone home and gone, oh, this weird thing happened and then just never yeah. followed it up. Yeah, exactly. And now I've, I've, you know, been in San Francisco for 17 years, um, worked at, met a ton of amazing, inspirational people and landed here. Wow. So this is why I love doing these podcasts because you hear stories like this that you just, you just wouldn't hear. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Um, so we talked about a lot of positives for both of you, for your businesses, for your, you know, family life, employment, the rest of it. What's something that both of you struggle with? I would say that something that I very much struggle with to this day um, is accepting help. So okay. I, I tend to be a fixer. So I want to help and support everyone else around me. And it can be really, really difficult for me to admit when I need help. Um, in a number of different ways. We're talking um, personally, professionally, both. Personally and professionally, I will. I will. Con- I have the kind of personality where I will continue to take things on and think that I can manage it, and think that I can manage it, and think that I can manage it okay. until I just can't manage it anymore. <laughs> um, which is funny because I'm also really great at delegation. So once I get to the point where I admit that I need help, which takes me a very long time, I'm great at actually delegating and figuring out how to get things done, you know, with other people, but it just takes me a really long time to, to get there and admit it. But it's something you're aware of and it's something you, you work on it regularly? Absolutely. Okay. And is it getting better? I go through ebbs and flows. Shall I ask Andrea (laughs) if it's getting better? It's funny because ours are kind of related. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't really know that. Um, yeah, my struggle is definitely with boundaries. Did you not know that? Sorry to jump in, really. No, I really didn't. That's, wow. That's because I always say that I could take more things on, so how would she know? <laughs> but but it's yeah. weird because you have such great boundaries, which is something I that do. I don't have. So I just assume that you would always say no because you're very protective of your time and where you spend your energy it's true I'm very good at prioritizing things and I will I will push things out in my schedule but I won't necessarily say no say no that makes sense yes (laughs) okay wow clearly we need to go to couples therapy (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe I need to do more couples on this podcast maybe it's uh I mean, that's, that's a real positive for your business. There'll be some time in a month's time, you'll be like, okay, I know not to give Samantha more work because yeah. wow. <laughs> she'll, she'll say yes and she'll try to yeah. take it on. Wow, that's a win. That's a win for this podcast already. Yeah. We can log <laughs> exactly. Off now. Thank you. <laughs> How about you, Andrea? What's something you struggle with? Well, mine is boundaries. You know, it is, I'm definitely a people pleaser. And especially when we were consulting, I had a really hard time with boundaries with clients, Um, especially if they had an urgent need, I, I wanted to help them. You know, I wanted, I wanted them to be successful. I wanted us to be successful, which in my mind that felt like, Oh, I have to get them an answer right now. I have to solve this problem right now. Um, And I I imagine the research you've done for Harlow has highlighted that many, many freelancers struggle with this, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, and then even with a, a child, you know, a child, <laughs> just mm-hmm. especially he's two, so he takes, takes, takes. And so setting up some boundaries at home in terms of how do we manage the small child while yeah. both of us working at home, um, kind of setting that up so that we have a little bit more, I'm not going to say balance, but harmony. We'll say no, life harmony in life. Mm-hmm. We're the same, me and my wife. So we both work from home. Um, my Both my girls are at school and nursery, so they're, they're not here all the time. But it is a fine balance trying to get it right because you both need your own time. You both need your own space, whether it's for work, personal reasons, whatever. It's And um, it's funny you say, like, bring kids in. Because I, I see the boundaries thing from... Um, from a freelance perspective very much right i mean 
I've been there myself. You, you, you're always so worried about losing the client or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever. And it's like, oh, you know, that email pops in on a at nine o'clock in the evening or a Saturday morning. You know, you want to respond to it, especially now with, you know, your iPhone and emails yeah. being 24-7. And I guess it's, it's interesting. And I think a lot of people would see that as well, but not a lot of people would think about it from a child perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You can get touched out at the end of the day. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a good takeaway. Um, so this question actually is interesting and bearing in mind what we just talked about the next question. And that is, do you think people's perception of you is accurate? It's an interesting question. Um, Where, I, I'm, go ahead, Sam. So I would say likely not. And the only reason that I say that is because I'm very active on social media for our business and also personally. So personally and professionally. um, And I try to really showcase the highs and lows and be really empathetic and honest on social. But I'm sure that tends to be, you know, I'm sure it tends to come out that there are more highs that are covered than lows, right? So I'm sure that people don't actually like understand the, you know, the roller coaster that it is to run a business to the extent that I would say that we probably feel it on a regular basis. And so um, I think that I give, I give a lot. And so people probably understand partially, but not fully. And it's it's only a snapshot, isn't it as well? So, you know, if I see your your tweet today and then see it again in a week's time and then two weeks time and it's, oh, it's just positive, positive, positive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, you might have done five tweets in between each of those ones saying how rubbish your day's been or whatever. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I would say, I, I don't know what people's perception of me is, but I would say it's probably not accurate. I think that our perceptions of most people that we don't know very well probably aren't accurate. We don't know everything that's going on in their lives and the things that bring them joy and um, their struggles and things like that. So I would say probably people's perception isn't accurate, but I also at this stage in my life, don't spend a lot of time thinking about it (laughs) (laughs) because it doesn't do me any good. Um, And I'm curious where this question came from. Um, Do you know what? I can't remember. I, I went through this process. So, I went through this process of, I wanted it to be 10 questions Mm -hmm. and I had a whole list of potentials, you know, some I've borrowed from other podcasts or books or uh, YouTube videos or something. And I just had this long database. I use Notion and I keep notes in there and and I had so much in there. And um, where was I going with this? And it was an interesting one because sort of, aligned with what Samantha said about social so whether it's personal professional a lot of people see what you want them to see on social media and some people I guess are living their best life and they're showing you all the stuff they want you to see some people are being totally honest and then everywhere in between and I think that I don't know it's just a strange one I think the short answer is I can't remember where I saw it, mm-hmm. but I thought it was really interesting. And actually, of all the people I've interviewed so far, everyone's given a different answer. I, I thought the stock answer would be, yes, um, you know, I'm an open book and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, what you see is what you get. But actually, it's not really been the case. I think um, we've had extroverts and introverts and, and playing those roles and... Yeah, I, I don't know. It's um, it's an interesting question, and it. But I mean, all of my questions were designed, or hopefully designed, in a way that they would spark a conversation and mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a thought process for people. So, yeah, that was the plan. But, yeah, I think. I mean, I always claim that I'm an open book as well, which I am. I will, you know, I'll respond to anything that anyone sends over to me. I try to be totally honest and transparent, but again even if you're an open book on social media, like you said, people are still only seeing, you know, part of the story or only relating to part of the story that they, you know, that they find interesting. So nobody can, nobody can see your true being by following you or absorbing what you're posting on social. No, they can't. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it's cliche. 
I mean, what, think about everything you do in a day. Yeah, you might yeah. go out for a stroll at lunchtime and there'd be a nice sunshine and, you know, around a lake and you go, oh, it's a great photo for Instagram. Mm -hmm. But you can't learn anything from that and you can't see what else you're going through for the day. But it's interesting that you sort of go as social media as being the, the window into people's perception. What about people who are, I don't know, maybe closer to you or know you better than just your, you know, your Instagram and your Twitter? Hmm. That's interesting. I think, um, with the people around me, I'm very transparent. And so I would say that their perception of me, well, I mean, perceptions are biased still though, right? Inherently. Yes. So I don't, if they're, I might think that they have a certain perception of me, but I don't, I don't really <laughs> know that. Right. Like I'm like, yeah. Oh, I think I come off this way and this way and this way, but they might describe me in a completely different way than I would describe myself. So, you know, there's still biases. True. And Very still, true. you know, not everyone, nobody around you can truly know everything about you or what you're thinking and feeling on a daily basis. So well, every, still, everyone's perspective is going to be a little bit different. They're still only going to know what you want them to know, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think my plan is once I've done this first batch of, of interviews, and I, I think I said to you before, I think we're up to 15 now for, I guess, the pilot, if you like, is I will review the questions and see what's good, what gets good answers, what, you know, so I've already removed one um, that was in there because it was a bit of a stumbling block and it was a bit of a, a bit clunky and it just didn't make sense in the flow of everything else. So, yeah, I mean, I appreciate both your answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Tell me something you're both really passionate about. Well, so I know you and Andrea have both already said that balance can be a struggle, but something that I am actually passionate about is some semblance of balance in my life. So okay. I, I really do have a deep belief that life should be about more than work, that life should be about having fun, enjoying yourself, filling your cup, spending time with friends and family, you know, that work shouldn't run your life. It can yep. be a part of your life that you are passionate about, but you know, for me personally, like I need a lot of these other things on a daily and weekly basis to feel very well-rounded and fulfilled. And I'm super passionate about making that happen and being proactive about scheduling my time so that I don't fall into a rut where I'm just, you know, working and not actually experiencing these other things. And would I be correct in assuming then that was a big part of you wanting to go out on your own? Oh, Absolutely. The, yeah. you know, the, the main reason why Andrea and I actually left and founded our consulting firm um, is because at the time at Campaign Monitor, we were actually, you know, we, we got to the point where Campaign Monitor was a global company, right? We had teams in the UK, yeah. in Australia, in the Philippines, in New York, in San Francisco, really all over the map. And so, you know, there were some days where Andrea and I were working from, you know, we'd have our first meeting at 7 a.m. and we'd have our last meeting at 7 p.m., Right. And not necessarily saying that you're like working that full day in between. Obviously, you can take breaks, but, you know, it got to be a lot. And I felt like my balance was out of whack. It became really difficult to take vacations and time away from work to yeah. just fit other things into my day. And so, yes, one of the reasons that she and I left was to find more autonomy and to be able to actually embrace, you know, flexible schedules that worked for us. No, I, I'm, I'm the same. I, I started my own business and strangely, it was a result of having children, but because of that mm -hmm. reason. And I just, you know, I was working ridiculous hours, commuting into London every day. And I kind of of the belief that, don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm a, a believer in hard work and I think you do need hard work to start your own business. Absolutely. But I don't think that it means you need to be working 15 hours a day. I think there's right. there is a balance to be had. And I think that when you have your own business, you can decide what you want. And for me, I knew that my, I wanted my, I was obviously I want my business to grow, but I didn't want that hockey stick rocket ship. I, I didn't care about that. And I'm sort of following the sort of slow growth mentality Yep. because we're very aligned. Yes. <laughs> because, because I know it will get there in the end and it is getting there. And it's, it's, it's about my reasons for starting the business and not purely financial. And if they were purely financial, I think then it's different way you approach it. And it's Absolutely. refreshing to hear that other people are working to that sort of uh, theory as well. Well, I think, I think there is, I, I think that's getting better, but I think there was a misconception that wanting balance in your life 
meant that you didn't want to work hard or that you yeah. weren't yes. working toward a goal. And that yeah. is not the case, right? Like you can have a goal in mind, you can want to work hard, but you can know yourself and know that if you work very hard for five hours a day, that's actually far more productive than being in front of your computer for 12 hours a day or nine yeah. hours a day, right? So it's it's also about getting to know yourself and how you work best and not just falling into these patterns that we saw, you know, our boss before us or their boss before them, or, you know, those people working long hours. So we think we need to work long hours to show that we are working hard. It's not about show. It's actually about how we work best and how we figure out, you know, what that means for each individual person. Yeah, I I agree. I think, I mean, I don't know about yourself, but I know the the times in the day when I work best. And for me, that is first thing in the morning, I work well. And last thing in the afternoon or early evening, I seem to work well which is totally counterintuitive to this whole nine to five or eight uh-huh. to four yeah. or whatever, you know, and it, it always kind of, I don't know, it's strange to me that, right, right, this is the hours you have to work. And okay, so you spend an hour getting there, you work for eight or nine hours, and then an hour getting home. But are you actually productive in those eight hours or not? I think and exactly. To, exactly to your point, you could work for three or four hours and be far more productive than the old school way of doing it, I think. So. Right. And our brains need, we need time away from our screens and we need yep. time away from our tasks. I just finished reading this amazing book called Stolen Focus. Have you read it? Um, I've heard of it. It's, who's, it's, that by, who's that by? Uh, I can't remember. His, I want to say it's Jonathan Hari. I'm not sure what his, if, uh, his yes, first yes, name yes, is. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'll tell you what, if you ever listen to him on some podcasts, he's really good. Is he? he yeah, he talks about human connections and stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, it ties it ties into to all of this, just how distracted we are as yes. we've become as a culture, and and it it was really refreshing reading his book because Samantha and I have been talking about this a lot about how like you don't have to sit in front of your computer for eight hours a day. And when we say yeah. this again, I feel like people are like, "You guys don't work." In fact, we work incredibly hard. We just work on our schedules and we give ourselves breathing room to go take a walk with the dog in the middle of the day and, and put our devices down, the information down, give ourselves some room to have some creativity, to let our minds wander so that we can yeah. actually start to solve some of the problems that we're facing. Um, it's a great, and, I, and your but... schedule is probably more efficient than most people's. Yeah. As a result. <laughs> oh, yeah. absolutely. We, we, we time block, we, you know, have certain days of the week where we have no meetings. So it's just very focused work. Yeah. You know, we, we've done a lot of things proactively to say, okay, you know, how are we going to get things accomplished without making ourselves sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day? Here's how we do it. We put all of our meetings on the same day so that we can do those and know that we don't need to be productive on top of having, you know, all this, you know, switching cost in meetings. And then on our Tuesdays and Thursdays, that's our deep focus thinking. We're going to let each other work and work hard and get things accomplished. Right. And then maybe Friday's our brainstorming day. That's when we're going to come together after, you know, our deep focus work day and figure out like our next set of things to do. So it's very much about just organizing your days and your week in a way that actually works for you instead of, you know, buying into just nine to five. Is it still just the two of you or have you hired anyone? No, we just made our first hire. Okay. So how, so how, how are you communicating that process and methodology to them? Yeah. So we actually spent a lot of time putting together it's funny because you have to put some structure around a non-structured work day, <laughs> right? I, yeah, I, so, I, I had exactly the same problem. So that's why I'm asking for my own personal so, benefit. Yeah, so we actually we actually spent some time putting together like true company policies and really defining what it meant to have a flexible work environment. Um, and there's a few things um, within that. And, you know, one, I just mentioned that we have no meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Friday afternoons. Like, that is just something that we abide by. We are not going to schedule meetings. That's deep focused work time or time for you to do whatever you need to is that outside in, of work. Internal or external meetings or both? Both. both. Okay. No meetings. Okay. Um, I, I then, break that rule sometimes because I have poor boundaries. <laughs> 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 you know, and, and then Samantha like, just accepts them because. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I actually, I'm actually very. Um, very consistent with none. No, it's well, it's been interesting too. Like, as we're scheduling things like podcasts, like external and abiding or talking to other companies about partnerships, yeah. you know, I'm trying very hard to say, 
you know, we only take meetings on Monday and Wednesday. So if you can't meet on Monday or Wednesday this week, let's talk next week or let's chat the week following. Um, how, how, yeah. do people, how do people respond to that? You know, nobody has like, nobody has pushed back so far and said, no, I need to meet this week or I need to meet next week. They, okay. We just figure out when our schedules align and schedule accordingly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I would say one of the other things that we've done is we have really tried to encourage more asynchronous communication. So mm-hmm. we've started sending like, because sometimes it's just hard to type things out on Slack, you know. So we've started mm-hmm. sending, Sam and I send each other um, video mm-hmm. or, or audio messages. We've started using Loom a lot more, okay. which has really helped because you can put an idea out there into into a Slack channel or in an email and get feedback asynchronously, um, but you still get the same yeah. same quality. Okay. And I think I'll add one more thing that we're doing there to try to kind of encourage flexible work scheduling schedules and owning your own schedule is if there is a meeting that needs to take place, we encourage everybody to touch base with the person that you're scheduling with and make sure that it works for what they're focused on and what, okay. they, they, what they're planning their day around. you know. So I'm not just going to throw a meeting on Andrea's calendar because it works for me. I'm going to say, hey, Andrea, I need to talk to you about this thing. When works best for you? So that it's tr- it's more of a collaborative environment to scheduling meetings and people aren't just you know taking over your day. Yeah. And do you, do you think, I mean, I, I suspect I know the answer, but do you think it's scalable as and when you grow? We hope so. We'll s- yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we try to we try to outline it in a way outline it in a way that is scalable. I'm sure there will be hiccups because yeah. there always are hiccups as you grow an organization, grow a team. But you know, even right now, although there are you know there's three of us full time, we also have a network of freelancers, you know, writers, designers, yeah. developers who are working with us on the product. It's not you know it's not just the three of us making all of this happen. You know, there's actually yeah. really like. 10 or 20 people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe like 15 of us that are making this all happen. And so even with, you know, uh, you know, let's say, let's say it's 15 freelancers and three people full time. It's working right now. Great. I mean, that's really good to hear. Do you have any um, policies around hours? The only reason I asked that is because when I hired someone, their question to me was, what hours do you want me to work? And my response was, I, I kind of, I hadn't really thought about it because when I was on my own, I'd sort of work as and when, and I, and I planned things out, you know, in, mm-hmm. in my way. And I said to her, I was like, Oh, I, I don't really care when you work. I just, you know, it's, it's about processes and outputs for me. I, and I, and I've said that for many, many years, like in, when I was managing teams and whatever. And so when it was my own team or some my own company, I was like, Oh, it makes you question that decision and you try and, and try and be right. But I wondered if you, so I said to her, I was like, you know, I, I really don't mind about the hours. There's, there's certain things that need to get done at certain times. But apart from that, you know, it's about, because I do believe as we spoke about earlier, there's certain times of day when you are more efficient mm-hmm. and better and more creative and, and, and more productive and everything. So if you know, you're going to have a lull from 1130 in the morning till 230, then Go do something there's else. Almost, there's almost no point working, yeah. right? Almost, <laughs> totally. Like, present presenteeism is just a total waste of time. So I, I wondered if you had any other, if you guys had policies around hours or similar, different. No policies around hours. Um, we try to structure everything so that you're working towards goals that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and really, you know, Andrew and I talk about it all the time. It's like we want to hire people that are trustworthy and passionate, and we want them to do their jobs in a way and at a time that works best for them. So we're really putting a lot of trust in the humans that we're hiring, that they can spend the time to understand their own schedules and when they work best and you know, create their work days accordingly. It's a very refreshing view, which I, I think is coming more and more into place since the last couple of years where people were Absolutely. forced to work from home. I mean, did you sort of believe or did you work to that three years ago or was it a different world back then and you know we we've both worked remotely um for a very long time I've actually worked remotely for eight or nine years now Andrea's gone in and out of working remotely you know through her career and so I think 
you know, I won't speak for Andrea, but like at my core, it's always something that I believed in is like working when you work best. And I got put in a position where I couldn't do that um, previously with some jobs, but I felt very passionately when we were creating our consulting business, which was before, you know, COVID and before remote work being widely accepted that we were going to do that and that we were going to own our own schedules. And so we're, we're pulling that into Harlow now. Yep. Cool. Okay. Final question for you both then. So when you think about the future, what do you see? I see a community in both my personal and professional life. I think the past few years, I'm naturally introverted, but the past couple of years have been really hard. Um, just feeling isolated and <clears throat> we had a child during COVID, which exacerbated that. Yep. Um, and um, so I'm very excited to build, rebuild kind of my personal community, um, just of friends, but also within my little neighborhood. Um, and then also community when it comes to, to Harlow and to, to our business. I think one of the things that Samantha and I did early on is we started, we started creating content and really getting out there and talking to freelancers before we had launched the product, like six months before we had launched the product. So okay. I think everyone was like, when are you going to launch this thing? You've been talking about it forever. Um, but that, that community that we've built, they have just been absolutely amazing. They've been incredibly supportive and giving in terms of their time and their feedback um, and support. And it's just been, it's been really wonderful. So that's kind of what I think of when I think of the future is, is investing in my personal community and my professional community. Interesting. How about you, Samantha? I love that. Um, Yeah. I think when I think about the future with Harlow specifically, which obviously I'm thinking about a lot, you know, as it comes to Andrea and I's future and the future of the company, you know, I see us continuing to help this kind of next wave of business owners. You know, it really is, you know, I, I really do believe that like the future of work is a lot more people going out on their own and consulting or freelancing or starting their own small business and finding more autonomy. And so I find us, you know, I see us continuing to help the people that are creating their own paths towards, you know, more freedom, more flexibility, more balance. Can I tell Um, you something really funny? Sorry to interrupt you. So I've so far interviewed, you're the sixth sixth interview, (laughs) I would say. Uh Um, You are the fourth to talk about how the way the world of work is changing and people are going more down um, the freelance route and Mm -hmm. this whole sort of um, fractional workplace, I guess. That makes me me very happy that you're seeing even the group of people that you're bringing onto this podcast aligned on that direction. Well, it's, it's strange because they're not even all from the same sector or that you know one was an entrepreneur one's a consultant one's uh works in marketing obviously you guys founders mm-hmm. and it, as in there's no crossover there anywhere it's not like oh you know we're all marketing and we all think this mm-hmm. uh so it's it's, in, it's interesting that i mean what well, you know four out of six so far mm-hmm. and that's not to say the other two don't think it, it just didn't come up in conversation <laughs> but it's amazing in what like a week and a half I've had this same conversation with so many people and I mean I I agree I do 100% agree with you I think that people are I mean it comes back to that efficiency thing almost doesn't it where you know whether you're efficient with your day or whether you're efficient for the work you're getting someone to do for you is it's the same it's the same outcome I think and it's really interesting sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you but I just thought it was fascinating that like I said, so many people talking about this same um, scenario. Yeah, I mean, people just, they don't want to work the way that we have been conditioned to work and yeah. to live and prioritizing work over everything else and being a martyr to our jobs. I don't think that's what the future is about. The future is about, you know, embracing more balance, embracing the other things that are important in your lives, being there for your friends and your family, taking yeah. care of yourself, prioritizing yourself. Um, and also, again, working hard in a way that works for each individual individual human. So it really does make me very, very happy that all of these people from all of these different 
industries and on all of these different career paths are saying the same thing because that means that we are in my mind moving in the right direction yes I agree and I, I suppose we take this opportunity then so um why don't you give us you you know Harlow I'm assuming is is good news for that conversation we were just having mm-hmm. about you know freelance so why don't you give me um the elevator pitch and a quick overview of what what it is what it's about what it's doing uh who it's for yeah yeah so harlow is an all-in-one freelance tool so everything from sending out your proposals and contracts and getting them signed so bringing on new clients um all the way through to getting paid so think about invoicing and then everything in between so managing your clients managing your tasks tracking time associated with that and just really managing your business end to end so harlow specifically i will say is built for who we kind of call this like white collar solopreneur. So think about your designer, your uh, content writer, your marketer, your social media consultant. Um, These people that all work in um, a very specific way. And one of the reasons why Andrea and I actually created Harlow um, is because there are these other solutions out there in the market, but a lot of them are catered to like the photographer or the caterer, right. or, you know, even like doulas, these other, these other paths that are still entrepreneurial paths, yeah. but aren't really, they don't work in the same way that our audience works in. And so um, Andrea and I felt very passionate in creating this product that speaks to those people through community and content and, you know, creating a product that works the way that they work and the way that they want to manage their business. And Andrea, okay. I'll let you add to that. I- it's perfect elevator pitch. <laughs> there, uh, out, there it is. <laughs> out of curiosity, where did where did the name come from? <clears throat> we really wanted a human name because being a freelancer and a solopreneur can be really lonely, and it can feel you can feel isolated. And we just wanted the brand to really embody, um, uh, you know, somebody that would help, like a tool that would help you, like okay. your pal. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where the name came from. Yeah. We talk about, um, we talk about empathy a lot at the core of Harlow and our brand, um, you know, empathy in the way that people want to work, empathy in giving them community and the connection that they need to do their job. Well, you know, empathy in the fact that we are like magnifying freelancers voices and making them heard and making them more known and connecting them. Um, so I think Harlow was deeply rooted in, empathy and being you know a more personal approach to business did, did just out of curiosity then did you see this shift in um the workplace i guess we'll call it come in or was it a bit of luck with the with the pandemic and the way it's driven things or did you actually think the future is going to be more and more like this you know i i, I think uh <laughs> I think over the past few years, Andrew and I specifically in our network, we have seen more and more people go into consulting and freelancing and leaving, yeah. you know, high paying, you know, respectable corporate jobs to take their own path. And so I think that we have seen, and we did the exact same thing, right? So mm-hmm. we did it. We started to see other people in our network doing it. And so I think we probably, we probably saw it happening before it became really widely recognized and talked about, right? Before the great resignation was plastered across every yeah. <laughs> every news source out there, you know, we we saw this coming and we we embraced it. Yeah, yeah it's funny. Like there's certain industries I think you attribute it to more. But for example, my wife is a lawyer, mm-hmm. and she left her great job at a great company. What we know, six months ago, and she went freelance mm-hmm. and. I think, you know, typically, I guess, legal wouldn't be a, you know, a thing, but a lot of her ex-colleagues have done it. A lot of her friends in the industry have done it as well. And I think um, for exactly the reasons we talked about, and she now can, is in control of her life a bit more and and the rest of it. But it's it's funny how, you know, there's certain industries you probably see it more or expect expect it more, I probably is is a better phrase, but. I think where we really started to see it more on the business side, which is why we wanted to make a tool for freelancers that are selling into businesses. When, I mean, back when we were at campaign monitor, we got a lot of pushback for bringing in freelancers 
you know, the, the corporate culture and idea was, oh, these people, they're not going to understand our brand. They're not going to work as hard. They're not going to really understand our culture. Um, and I think, I think that's changing a lot. So I think the change has been on both sides. Organizations are much more willing to work with freelancers and consultants now, um, yep. especially right now, because many of them, frankly, don't want a lot of the overhead associated yep. with full-time employees. And I think employees are realizing they want more autonomy. It's funny. Totally. It's funny. People assume that consultants aren't going to work as hard, whereas I would I argue that it's the opposite because there's, you know, they, they obviously don't want to lose the gig and they don't want to right. lose that relationship. Totally. So they, you'll probably find without the safety net of a employment contract that they work even harder. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Um, Ladies, it's been fascinating talking to you. I'm really glad you both came on and uh, and gave me the time to do it. I really appreciate it. If people want to get in touch with you or check out what you're doing, where's, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, so if you want to find out more about Harlow, you can go to meetharlow.com. We're also across social media. It's at meetharlow on almost every single platform. Um, I'm also very active on Twitter. My handle is just Samantha Andrel, first and last name. So that would okay. be a really good place to connect with me. And you, Andrea? I am not very active on social media. Okay, we'll <laughs> send everyone. We'll send everyone to Samantha. Then. Send everyone to Samantha. <laughs> Although and, Andrea has increased her tweeting by about a thousand percent. That's that true. I she have. didn't used to tweet at all, and <laughs> okay, she's coming into it. You can find me what? at the Littlest Flea on Twitter. <laughs> is that is that a personal branding decision? <laughs> To not be active on social? No, to be more active now. Now you've obviously got your business. and It's, yeah. it's something I, I found personally that, you know, kind of buying into this whole personal brand thing and actually yeah. the whole awareness of, of whatever. And I guess I, like you, I wasn't very active on socials. And then, you know, when you're trying to grow a business and it's, it's some, you know, it's a, bit, it's a devil that you sort of have to get into yeah. bed with sometimes, isn't it? Your yes. community, your community can be powerful, even if it's a small community. Yeah, you never know when you're going to tap into somebody that can, you know, help you land the next podcast, or you know, yeah. wants to use the software, or mm -hmm. wants to write content for you. Like, even a small community can be powerful. No, yep. yeah, I agree. Okay, thank you so much. I really thank appreciate you. the time. And, yeah, this, um, this is great. I can't wait to see all the upcoming episodes and see people's different perspectives on your questions. I will be sure to share them. Thanks for listening. That was 10Q interview um, with my two lovely guests, Samantha and Andrea of Meet Harlow. I told you I had nothing to worry about, didn't I, with, with two guests. It was great. Anyway, if you made it to the end, thank you. Really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q interview everywhere. That's all from me for now. Make sure you've hit subscribe and the next interview um, from us will be live in your feed very, very soon. Take care. Bye.